We're glad that you're here tonight, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 27. Romans 16, verses 1 through 27 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Pis Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom only I give thanks. Not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Edronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodias. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quar Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we unpack this last chapter, I want you to notice Paul's love for the church. Did you catch how many people's names he knew? How many people he not only knew their names, but he wants to say, I had a so-and-so and he could tell you about their lives. Go real quickly to me with me to, to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and, and look at how he does this a lot. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at how not only does he know their names, he knows what they're doing, where they're going, what, what they're ha what's happening to them in ministry. Uh, it's pretty cool. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 9 and following. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, and Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. 
Now at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Achilla. Same names we're going to look at tonight in the household of Vanessaphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul had a love for the church. He had a calling to be a traveling preacher, but even though he was a traveling preacher, he knew what was going on in the lives of the people that he was ministering to and God was using him in their lives. To give you an example, Becky and I are kind of excited as we leave Thursday morning early to go preach in Scottsdale, Arizona, an area that I've not preached in before. We also know that there's a couple there who used to be in the church that we were at in Chicago when I was pastor who were in Arizona. And because of technology, we were able to track them down and find them. And we're having dinner with them on Thursday night and can't wait to catch up and see what God's been doing in their lives. But these are people that were knit into our lives and us into theirs 20 years ago. We stayed in their house years ago when we, I went to a convention, Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, you know, over 20 years ago. But we have not seen them since then. And we can't wait to find out what's going on with them and their children. And I could name their names and all that kind of stuff for you. As we travel around, we also get to build relationships with people in churches. And then when we get done there, we're gonna, I'm going to get to go to, to uh, Detroit and hang out with a bunch of believers that are there that I've been building relationships with for 8 to 10 years now. And got a call from a church in, in Galax, Virginia just recently, uh, last yesterday. And they want me to come and preach for a week up there. And not only do we know the people there and love them, if you go and look at their church directory, Becky and I's picture is on their church directory because they consider us part of their church. Folks, let me encourage you in this day, especially all the more as we see the day approaching, there's a tendency to isolate and to, to just kind of bring everything in close. Get to know people. You're not going to know everybody and you can't know everybody. And I hear too many people say, oh, the church is so big, I don't know everybody. You're not supposed to know everybody. But get involved in some people's lives. Know what's going on in their lives. Encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In 1 Corinthians 12, go to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verses 18 through 26. As Paul wrote about the importance of us knowing each other and caring for each other. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18 through 26 he says, but as it is, God arranged the parts of the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have, same care, have the same care for one another. If one part suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. Have you thought about the fact that as Paul, going back to Romans 16, as Paul was talking about these people and these people and these people, that was before Facebook. That was before email and cell phones, and he was traveling, and letters were having to be passed back and forth. Yet, even in all of his travels and all the people going around, he knew who was where, who was doing what, who was related to who, 
And folks, I just want to use this as an encouragement to all of us. Don't isolate in these times. Encourage each other, especially all the more. Excuse me, all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, we're not going to break down every single name here in chapter 16 for a couple of reasons. One, we won't finish Romans this year if we tried to do that. Secondly, there's a lot of names here we really don't know a lot about. These are people that Paul knew about in the church in Rome, but we, in our day and age, and with what we have from Scripture, don't have a lot of information about all of them. But we're going to pull out a few that I think the Lord wants us to look at, and they're going to be so for an importance. Look at verses 1 and 2. The first one we're going to look at is Phoebe. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, Paul is writing the book of Romans from Corinth. Centria is a port city of Corinth. And she was in the church there that was in Centria. And she was going to be carrying this letter to the church in Rome. Now think about this for a minute. Paul is having a woman carry the letter to the church in Rome. And actually, when he says she's a servant, the Greek word translated servant actually could be translated and should be translated deaconess. Now, whether or not she had an official title or anything, what I want to talk to you about is the fact that the Bible teaches that women are to have roles of helping and caring for the church. Now, the Bible's very clear that women are never to take the role of authority over the church, but the Bible talks about the importance of women. There are unfortunately people that try to say that women are never allowed to speak in the church or all that kind of stuff. And I just say lovingly, read the whole Bible, Don't, not a verse here and a verse there out of context. The Bible actually says when a woman prophesies in church, she needs to do it with her head covered. In other words, when she does speak and when she does preach, it's okay for a woman to preach. But if she's been given the role of authority, that's stepping beyond what the scripture says. But when it talked about doing it with her head covered, it wasn't about a doily and stuff like that as much as it's really talking about authority. As the Bible says, Christ is the head of the, of the church and the head of the man. The man's the head of the wife. When I preach, I better be doing it with my head covered. In other words, with, under the authority of my head. I better not be out here saying stuff that I want to say. I need to be saying what he's allowed me to say and told me to say. And in the same way, when women speak, as long as the leadership of men have given permission and authority, it's fine. And actually, as you're going to see, there's a lot of ministry in the church, deacon type of ministry, that really shouldn't be done by men. It should actually be done by women. Because there is one of the main ministries of the deacons in the church was to take care of who? Widows. And if there are needs for widows, there are some things that women should be doing and not men when it comes to taking care of widows. Go with me to um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 5 in a little bit as well. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8, it says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, interestingly enough, if you go back and look at the qualifications in verses 1 through 7 for the elders, it talks about them being a one-woman man as well, but at the same time, it doesn't give qualifications for their wives. Why are there qualifications for the wives of the deacons and it doesn't give qualifications for the wives of the elders? Well, because the deacons had wives who were also serving in the deacon ministry and they were going to be knowing things about these people that they were going to be ministering to by going into their homes and caring for them and they better not be gossips. Well, do you know that Susie takes care of her house this way? And did you know that I saw this when I went over to help her? And they need to be such women that are able to go and do ministry from people that don't, well, they need to know that they're not going to be out there telling everybody else about what they just saw in their house. And throughout the scriptures, there are places that show that some women served as deacons, deaconesses. Now, again, each church gets to prayerfully decide whether or not they want to ordain them and all that kind of stuff. But I personally, as a pastor, have always said, the moment you think you need a special parking space or you have to have a special service to do something for the Lord, your heart's in the wrong place already anyway. If you want to serve, serve the Lord, whether anybody not notices it ordains you or not. But there seemed to be something about this woman that she had served so well and was such an important part of the church. When Paul sent the letter, he sent it with Phoebe. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and look at what the scripture says here in verses 3 through 16. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show good godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, that someone's left all alone, no family to take care of her, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, let a widow be enrolled in this list of widows to be taken care of if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. We're going to come back to that in a second. And having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints and has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give their adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. And if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, in this passage, as he's given qualifications for those who should be put on the widow list, he says a couple of very interesting things. Who, male or female, according to this passage, should be taking care of these ladies? Women. Women should be taking care of the women, not men. So if a part of the deacon ministry is taking care of women, it's okay if women serve as deaconesses. Again, each church gets to prayerfully decide if they want to go through that ordination thing, and that's something they have to deal with. But again, the heart is the real issue here. But on top of that, when it talked about those ladies who are qualified to serve as widows, or not to, to, to be enrolled as widows, when he talked about there need to be a, a one woman man, uh, sorry, a one man woman, a husband of uh, or a wife of one husband. It wasn't saying she sh could never have been remarried because later on in the context, what does he say? He said, if she's still young, let her get married again. 
So it's not you're disqualified because you had more than one husband. No, it's just saying she needs to have proven to be someone that was faithful to the one she was married to while she was married to him. Same thing with the passage about elders and deacons. We for years fought over, well, that guy's had a divorce. He's disqualified because he's never to have been divorced if he's going to lead in the church. That's really not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that they need to be above reproach as someone that's been a one-woman man. They've been faithful to the one they're married to. Now there are, and I'll get right to you, Rick, there are different situations that I think might cause individuals who have been divorced to be in the eyes of the church, not above reproach, question as to whether or not they're faithful to their spouse. And each situation has to be prayerfully gone through. But unfortunately, we've taken things and tried to turn them into laws. When if you let the whole of Scripture speak, God uses women in the church. Go ahead. And if it's a blanket, no questions asked, no divorce men, period, where's the grace? Well, exactly. If it's that, there, there's no grace as well. But, and that's why in each situation, you need to prayerfully go through it. And so what I want you to hear is this. That word where he says servant, it should be translated deacon, deaconess. In some way, she had an important role, and it's obvious for the fact that he's sending her with the letter to Rome. Now, go ahead. Hey, well, the scripture says that if she's young enough, she should remarry. If, if, if she wanted to, yes. Old, uh, old age. This is, well, it's just saying like my mom. Uh -huh. she's, up, she's pushing up in age. Got it. And my, mom, and my dad's not around no more. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it say that the family member? The family should be taken. Yes, without question. That's what we've just read that in two places. The family should be the ones taking care of her. Truly widows, as we just saw, are widows who don't have anyone to take care of them. And that does happen. I remember there was a lady when I was pastor of this church named Mickey who didn't have any family. Her husband left her when she was young. They didn't have any children. And what a neat, neat lady. And one day, as we were, I was doing a funeral for another lady in the church, we were over at Beach Funeral Home, I sat down next to, to Mickey when it was the greeting time or the, the viewing ahead of the, before the service. And I just sat down and watched all the people going by the casket. And I said to Mickey, when it's your turn to be in the box, Mickey, who's going to be here? Mickey and I had a great relationship, and she was cool with me saying, when it's your turn to be in the box. I said, well, who's going to be here? She says, my family. I said, that's what I want to know. Who's your family? And she said, you, the church here at First Baptist in the Atlantic. And praise the Lord, they took good care of her. And actually, my wife actually became power of attorney for her. And my wife was able to care for Mickey until the Lord took her home. And she became special to our family. We would take her with us when we would evacuate for hurricanes and stuff. But let me just tell you, thank God for my wife, because she had to deal with stuff with Mickey as a woman that I didn't want to have to deal with. Because sometimes as women get older, they don't want to bathe. Mickey's in heaven. She's not mad at me that I said that. But let me just say this to you. There's, need, there's ministry needs. We need men and women. We need men and women. Go to verse 23. Romans, chapter, Romans 15, by the way. And I jumped to verse 23 for this reason. Gaius and Erastus are also from Corinth. So when he says, Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you, and Erastus, city, city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you, Gaius and Erastus were also from Corinth. Go to 1 Corinthians 14 real quick and look at verses 14 and 15. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 14 and 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says this. It says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. So, and then there's another place that talks about Erastus being there as well. So, 
as Paul was saying, I'm glad I didn't baptize any. Well, okay, I baptized this guy and I baptized that guy, but I'm glad that I didn't baptize a whole lot of you because you wouldn't have thought that you were baptized in my name instead of Jesus's. But here we see that Gaius and Erastus were from Corinth as well. So let's jump down to verse 3, though, and take a look at Prisca and Aquila. Now, for some of you, you'd say, wait a minute, isn't, isn't that Priscilla? Yes, that's Priscilla. In some places, she's called Prisca. In other places, she's called Priscilla. But Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, they were also from Rome. But they were living in Corinth when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome. They were living in Corinth at that time. Go to Acts chapter 18, and I'll show you what I mean by this. And most likely, they were very familiar to the church in Rome. And that's why Paul says, hey, Prisca and Aquila, say hi. Acts chapter 18, look at verses 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to, to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And so he became friends with them there when he went to Corinth, and they had already been in Rome, but they had to leave when the Jews were chased out of Rome. And that's when he became friends, did a lot of ministry together. And uh, at this point, as he's writing the letter to the church in Rome from Corinth, he says, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their lives for, for, for Paul. We don't know what that means or what they did, but somehow, someway, they risked their lives. And uh, he said, they say hi. And the church also met in their house. All right. Now, interestingly, though, about Prisca and Aquila, I never thought, saw this until I studied on this. Almost all of the times, not every time, one time we just saw in Acts 18, Aquila is listed first. But almost all the times, have you ever noticed there was always Priscilla and Aquila? Isn't that interesting? Because women were not usually named first. Now, there's a couple of possibilities as to why Priscilla was named first. Because most of the time, I think it's four times at least, Priscilla is named first before Aquila. There's a couple of possibilities. One is that she had a higher social standing because there were ranks of social standings back in that day. Or the other possibility is she might have been more well known to the church than Aquila was. It's kind of like I always go around being known as Becky's husband. So she shakes her head. Go to verse 13. We're going to jump to the next name. It says, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. There's something interesting about this guy, Rufus. You might know his dad, and you didn't know it. His dad was Simon of Cyrene. Does that name sound familiar? Y'all know who Simon of Cyrene is? He's the one who, that they forced to carry Jesus' cross. Go with me real quickly to Mark chapter 15. Mark wrote his gospel from Rome. And Mark brings out a very interesting little thing in Mark 15, verse 21. As he writes his gospel and telling the story of Christ and, and his time on the earth and his first coming. In Mark 15, verse 21, Mark says this, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and who? And Rufus to carry his cross. Now, the other gospel accounts that talk about Simon being called to carry Jesus' cross don't list the, his boys' names. They're not really consequential for the story. 
But Mark brings out that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Because Mark was writing his gospel from Rome, and Rufus was known, and Rufus most likely became a believer because of his dad and what all went on with that, and of course because of his mother as well. So that's just an interesting little tidbit. In verse 16, he then says to greet each other with a holy kiss. And we're going to talk about this a little bit, because it's kind of important that we understand what's going on here. Back then, it was very common for people to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the forehead, and sometimes they would grab their beard and kiss their beard. It was a very affectionate way of greeting each other. I'm not saying that we should start bringing back the holy kiss, but there's something about the holy kiss that we need. All right, I'm going to tell you what that is in just a second, but go with me real quick to 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to take you through quickly how often you see in the scriptures the mention of the holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verse 20. First Corinthians 16, look at verse 20. It says, All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Go to 2 Corinthians 13 and look at verse 12. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 25. 1 Thessalonians 5, 25 says this. Or sorry, 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14 says this, greet one another with the kiss of love. By the way, who wrote 1 Peter? Peter. So it wasn't Paul all the time saying, hey, give each other a kiss. It was also Peter. It was a very common thing. It's kind of like what we do today when we hug each other. You ever said to somebody, give so-and-so a hug for me? By the way, for years I've had people say as I travel and they know I'm somewhere and Becky's back home and she's not with me. A lot of times because of our friendship with people, they'll say, hey, would you give Becky a hug for me? And I'd say, as long as... it." I can make very clear that the hug is different from the hugs I give her. Because I want to give my wife a hug when I get back, too. I don't want to just give her a hug from you. I want to give her a hug from me because I haven't seen her. I've been on the road. And in the same way, we need hugging. We need some kind of a touch, some kind of in contact. And we who are Christians, we need to not avoid that as well. In this day and age, where everybody's worried about germs and everybody's worried. Have you ever noticed how we show up at churches and everybody goes straight for the hand sanitizer? <laughs> Again, I'm not saying don't be cautious and all that stuff, but don't let the enemy keep us from the importance of physical contact. We need it. We need it. Actually, that was one of the things that actually helped the gospel during the time of leprosy, during the time of the Black Plague. Christians were the ones who were not worried about that stuff because they knew the Lord and if I die, I go to heaven. And they were willing to hug and they were willing to touch and they were willing to be there. Have you ever noticed that the scripture said that when the leper came up, Jesus touched him? Can you even imagine what that must have felt like for this man who had not had any contact? His wife most likely had left him and stopped touching him and all this. And now Jesus, the first thing he does is touches him. 
And again, we're not going to turn anything into a law. Oh, I guess I got to hug you. Jim said I got to hug you. No, but let the Spirit of God show you the importance of physical contact when you greet each other and just say hi. You know, when I was going through chemo, it was hard. But if you remember, I used to say elbows. Remember? Because I was going through chemo and my, and my immune system was way down, and, but I wanted to touch. And I would say, hey, let's do elbows. Let's do elbows. We need that. And that's what this holy kiss is about. Go ahead, Bill. Jim, could I, every time I read the holy kiss, uh, it was like I was being told it reflected an attitude of Christ's love. For Without question. It's definitely, it's definitely a reflection of Christ's love. You know, yes. Because, again, people who weren't Christians kissed each other. But this is different. This greeting is because you're my brother. This is greeting is because you're my sister. You know what I'm saying? So we'll just leave it at that. Let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Go to verses 17 through 20. Yes, go ahead. I spent time in the Ukraine on mission work. First night over there in a service. It knocked me way back to see the men embrace each other and kill. And kiss each other, yep. For those of you who couldn't hear, maybe those that are online couldn't hear, Jim was telling us how he went on a mission trip to the Ukraine, and it just amazed him at how he watched the men hug and kiss each other. One of the things that's sad for me, Jim, is as I travel around and deal with churches that are struggling, and if you're in one of these churches, I'm going to ask that you begin to pray that God would somehow begin to change this mentality. When I go to churches that are struggling, People are still sitting in the same spot on Sunday morning that they've always sat. I preached one time at a church in Tampa. The sanctuary sat 3,000. There were only 100 people left. But they were still sitting in the exact same spot that they had always been, even in the balcony. And in other churches that I go to, I will, and I, and I said to them, look, you're going to be mad at me. I know you're going to be mad at me. But I'm going to make you all get up from where you are, and I want us all to come sit together here in the middle section. I'm going to be here for a week, and in every service, I want us to come meet just and sit together in the middle section. You can cuss me out when you get home and all that. I don't care. I'm only going to be here for a week, but I want you to do this. You, I want you to see something that happens. And it was interesting. By the end of the week, the people were loving it because there's a sense of community. There's a sense of togetherness. And some of these churches said, we're just going to keep doing it even after you leave because this has actually been neat, you know. And some of our churches are meeting in big buildings that they don't fill anymore, but if you all sit where you've always sat and a visitor walks in, are they going to think you love each other? Or are they going to think you're just going through the motions of checking the, the time box or, you know, the time clock? I went to church. Folks, we need to spend time together. I'm looking forward to hanging out on the golf course with, with Ray tomorrow. I look forward to our Wednesday time. And brothers from three to four different churches, we get together every Wednesday morning and we play golf and we try to stomp each other in the name of the Lord. But it's fun. But it's a part of, that is church. I actually had lunch today with one, two, three, four other guys. We just met at the mall at a certain time and we sat there talking about the Lord loud and proud, but encouraging each other. And we all go to different churches. Every one of us went to different churches. It doesn't matter. We're brothers in Christ. And folks, let me encourage you. Paul had a love for the church. He was telling each other, hug each other, kiss each other, spend time together. And I just want to encourage you in these days that Satan is trying to isolate us. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Verses 17 through 20 of, of Romans 16. 
He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, Paul gives words of caution and warning here. As much as the church should love each other, we should also be aware that within the church will arise those who would teach false doctrines, and we should always be checking every teaching against the whole of Scripture. I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this because this is important, and you're going to see Paul go back to this a little bit at the very end of our letter. But folks, as much as we need to love each other and spend time together, there are going to be those among us who are not here for good reasons. There are going to be those who want to use this as an opportunity for them to gain a following to their doctrine, to how they view Christianity. How, and, 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 and those of us who teach will be held in stricter accountability. And if any of you out there are saying, well, I, I want to make sure that they see this the way I see it, or their doctrine's my doctrine. Listen, you've made yourself a teacher. And you will be standing before the Creator one day, and He's going to hold you accountable for everything you said He said that He didn't say. Well, I believed it really strongly. Well, that doesn't do any good. And by the way, how are we then to know whether or not Jim Johnson is teaching truth? You've got to check everything that I say against not just a verse, the whole of Scripture. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You're going to notice that Paul had to say this almost to every single group that he wrote to. He's saying it to the Romans here. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 16. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord of lords, he alone, who alone is has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Here he says, watch out for those people that come in and try to teach you that godliness is a mean to becoming rich. 
By the way, do we have that kind of teaching out there today? It's everywhere. He says, that's not the attitude Christians should have. We shouldn't be in it to get rich. Now, does God bless? Yes. Does God give? Yes. But we are given so that we continue to give, not so that we can accumulate more. But beware of that. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 17. But understand this. In the last days, there are going to come times of difficulty. Peoples will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they'll not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And here it is again. Watch out. There's going to be people that come in and teach stuff. Now listen real quickly. Have you noticed that Paul never says, go root them out? No. It's not our job to do that. You're just to avoid them. Don't listen to them. They're going to be there. They're going to have television stations. They're going to have radio programs. They're going to be there. Our job as Christians is not to tell everybody who to read and who not to read, who to listen to and who not listen to. Whose job is it to show us each who's teaching truth and who's not teaching truth? The Holy Spirit. And so we shouldn't be in the ministry of rooting out the false teachers. No, the weeds are going to grow among the wheat. It's going to happen. And we'll let God handle that at the end. You, however, you, however, be alert to this and spend time with the Lord in the word. And by the way, beware of anybody that comes on the scene and has the new revelation or a new teaching. And I've been shown something that no one has ever seen before. Be careful of that. They're out there. Yes, sir. I love that. If it's true, it ain't new. And if it's new, it ain't true. I love that. Go to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to hit this real quick because we've got some more to do in the 15 minutes we have left here. But go to Galatians chapter 1. Look at verses 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Jump over to chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing along with faith? 
Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was committed to him as righteousness or accounted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jump over to chapter 5 real quick. Look at verse 7 of Galatians. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Here, Paul was dealing with those who would come into the church and say, yeah, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also got to be circumcised. you got to believe in Jesus, but you also got to do these things. And they added law to the gospel. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. We follow the Lord and we keep the law, but we do it by walking with Jesus. Walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And our focus should be walking with Jesus. And don't use your freedom now as an opportunity to say, hey, I get to do whatever I want. I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. There's people that are going to take the gospel and twist it. But again, do you notice? He says, God will deal with them, whoever they are. Don't you think that if Paul knew about this, he might have had a way to find out who was teaching it? But that wasn't his mission. His mission was to point people to Jesus in his word. And God will take it from there. Are there going to be false teachers? Yes. The Bible even says, and I don't have time to take you there, in 1 Timothy 4, that there's going to be doctrines taught by demons. They're going to be pretty believable. But you know what? God's able to take care of you and I as we walk with him and stay faithful to his word. Again, Jude, we're not going to go there. But if you go read the book of Jude, just one chapter, he wanted to write about this awesome salvation. But I have to warn you that there's some people that have crept in and they're starting to preach that you can use this freedom to do anything you want sexually. And you've got to be aware of that. In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, remember we've talked about this before. Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Miletus and he said to them, he said, listen, after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in among you to, devote, to, 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 to distract you and to pull the disciples after themselves. And then he says this, I commit you to God and his word, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance in the saints. There's going to be there. They're going to be there. You stay faithful to the Lord and his word and you'll be fine. In Ephesians chapter 4, Look at that one real quick with me. You're in Galatians, so just turn over one book. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at what our role as pastors, as preachers and teachers is. In Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, And he, this is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not that the pastors would do the work, but the saints would do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul said, God gave you pastors and teachers and evangelists and shepherds to equip you by feeding you the word to do the work of the ministry, to build each other up, to encourage each other, to, to do life together. Then you'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness and men in their deceitful schemes. Do you know why a lot of false teachers are able to come into the church and lead people astray? Because most pastors have been expected to do the work of the ministry and to take care of the body and to look after everybody. And they don't spend the time studying for themselves and feeding the word to the church. And therefore, the church has not been fed the word of God. They're weak. They're easily taught things that aren't biblical because they don't know the word. Or a lot of pastors just do little topical sermons here and there. But you'll avoid the harder passage of the scriptures. When you teach through the books of the Bible, when you teach through the word verse by verse, you actually can't avoid things. And you have to deal with them. And you need to wrestle with them. That's why, as you've heard me say, we might have been studying the book of Romans, but you've already figured this out. We're studying the Bible, aren't we? We're just using the book of Romans to study the Bible. When we come back in a couple of weeks, we're going to start the book of James. But we're just going to study the Bible. We're just going to use the book of James to have God lead us to what he wants us to see. My job is to feed you the word of God so that you grow. Your job is to grow into the head, which is Jesus. Not to be followers of Jim Johnson or followers of certain doctrine, but to be followers of Jesus. And you're also to build each other up, encourage each other using the gifts you've been given. And you're going to see something in just a second that I can't wait to show you, which is really cool in Romans 16. But at the same time, the church would be stronger if the pastors and the preachers and the teachers would feed the word. Study on the word. Remember in Acts 6 when the church grew and the feeding of the widows became a problem because they started fighting over the distribution of the food to the Greek widows or the Jewish widows. And they went to the apostles and they said, we got a problem. And they said, look, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the study of the word, the ministry of the word and prayer. You choose some men among you full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll make, hand this responsibility over to them. They'll be in charge of making sure that's taken care of. We're going to devote ourselves to this. We, unfortunately, though, have allowed the church to write the pastor's job description, and many of you have been upset because you had a surgery and he wasn't there. I was talking with a pastor in Arizona today. We were talking about this. And I said, I remember when I was pastor, I'd have people say, you don't visit enough. But then they'd also say at the same time, I went by the church and you weren't there. We have expectations that the pastor should be the one who does the work of the ministry. Folks, that was never God's intention. That was never God's intention. The pastors were to be feeding on the word to feed you the word. And then you're to be finding what your gifts are and using them and encouraging each other in the body. I think we just read it there. Builds itself up as each part does its work. If I were to ask you whose job is it to build up the body, what would people mostly say? The pastor. No. No. Now look at verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter... Greet you in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. I thought all this time we were looking at the letter written by Paul. So what does it mean when it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord? 
Yes, he was the guy who wrote it down and Tertius here threw a, a verse in or a sentence in saying, hey, by the way, I say hi too. Now, this is important, though. I'm glad he did because we wouldn't have even never thought about Tertius. Have any of you during this whole study of Romans, myself included, thought about who was the person who actually wrote this? Because when Paul would write his letters, he would dictate them. And then every now and then he would give a personal greeting in his own hand at the end. That's why sometimes you'll say, I, I write this greeting with my own hand. He wasn't the one writing the letter. Paul was just speaking it. Tertius was writing it down. And aren't you glad he did? I wish she was here, but she's sick tonight. I thank God for Elise. Because Elise has taken my verbal preaching radio programs and, and recordings and stuff, and she has put them into writing. That's why this book has gone out and it's become what it's become. It's because Elise used her gifts and put it in writing. If you waited for me to write it, you'd never get it. And if you did get it, you would never want to read it. Again, we all have different gifts. And the body, hey, some of you are listening right now because you clicked on a website and there are people that do the website. I don't know how that works, but you're listening right now because someone named Chris Wilson built the website and keeps it running. Uh, those of you that are listening right now to the Tuesday night study and the recording on the website are doing it because a young man named Thomas Wilson actually is the one who's recording it with his wife, Amber, who helps him. And he comes home after every session. You don't know this. He goes home before he goes to bed and cleans it all up and gets rid of your cell phone rings and things like that. He's over there making notes as to when something happens. He'll quickly make a little note at what time it was because he goes home and he pretties up the sound and then puts it on the website so that people around the world can listen to this. Folks, I am the one you see and hear, but you wouldn't see and hear me if it wasn't for the Tertiuses. Do you understand? Have no problem with being a Tertius. Just use the gifts God's given you, and don't worry if anybody notices, and just serve the Lord as helper in the way that He's gifted you, and you will be rewarded one day. I make it a practice everywhere I go to speak, to go to the people in the sound booth and tell them how much I really, really appreciate them. Because I tell them, you, no one ever notices when you do a good job. When the sound people and the video people, and if nobody, if the people running the slides during your singing don't make a mistake, you don't even think about it. But buddy, if they miss a space bar one time and the, the words don't change, what does everybody do? Or the sound goes, what does everybody do? They look back to the sound booth. It's a sad ministry when the only time people notice you is when you mess up. So I make my practice to go to those sound people and say, you are greatly appreciated. I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for you. Now we're going to close tonight with verses 25 through 27. And you're going to see Paul one more time hit something that we've kind of already touched on. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This mystery that Paul refers to here is most likely the aspect of the gospel that shows that the Gentiles are co-heirs with and equal with the Jews and the promises and the blessings of Christ. We've talked about that already in our study. 
The, the fact that the Gentiles would be saved, that's been in the Old Testament, that hasn't been hidden. But what had been revealed was that the Gentiles not only would be saved, but they're co-heirs with Israel of all the promises. And if you want to double check that, you can go back and look at Romans 1, again, verses 1 through 7, and also Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, as Paul concludes this letter, he does what he often does. He points his hearers back to God and his word. Look at what he does again. He's warned them of watch out for false teachers. And then he says, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel. And has now been disclosed through what? The prophetic writings made known to all nations. In Acts 20, 32, we've already mentioned, he said, now I commit you to God and his word, which is able to take care of you. How does Jude end his letter, by the way? Now to him in verses 23 and 24, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before himself with great joy and without spot and blemish. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul has said is third, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, he says this. He says, may your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless to the coming of the Lord. The one who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We're going to close tonight with 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter does the same thing. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom God given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Isn't that interesting how Peter ends his letter the same way? And that's how we're going to close tonight. I hope I see you all in two weeks when we start the book of James. And I hope those of you that are tuning in to us are able to join with us as we do that. But if for some reason I don't get to see you again, I commit you to God and his word. You'll be fine. I love you. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for coming.